Wednesday night, we're gonna continue through the Bible. We're, we're uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, right through the scriptures. And we find ourselves in Mark chapter six. So I want you to turn there with me, Mark chapter six for our study this morning. We cover every single verse on Wednesday night, but on Sundays, we take an upcoming little section. And I'd like to travel with you uh, to a little town called Nazareth uh, on this Sunday morning. Uh, Jesus is now gonna walk from Capernaum uh, uh, up to uh, Nazareth. Um, it's gonna be a, an interesting journey to say the least. Uh, father was convincing his son that uh, you know his birthday, 16 year old birthday was coming in a few months and he said, son, if you uh, do these three things, I'll take you down the day of your birthday, we'll get you the driver's license down at the DMV. But you gotta do, between now and then, you gotta um, improve your grades, number one. Um, you gotta read your Bible every day, and then you also need to get a haircut. Uh, and so the three months or a few months went by, and, and the son, you know, sure enough, he raised his grades up, uh, in fact, did really well. Uh, the, the also, he read his Bible, he read the book of Leviticus, and could even answer questions about Leviticus. And then um, the father said, man, son, it's your 16th birthday. You did those two, but why didn't you get a haircut? He said, well, well dad, he said, you know, I'm, I've been studying the Bible and Jesus had long hair and I just wanna be more like Jesus. And the father said, that's great, son, because Jesus walked everywhere too. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Jesus walked. Uh, this is about a 30 mile journey from Capernaum, uh, 2000 feet uh, ascension from the Sea of Galilee down below sea level up to Nazareth, which is up on a hill. Uh, uh, in fact, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of cool because here in Mark six, um, I kind of want you to be able to picture the scene here um, as we look at this story. Uh, let's read the story and then I'll show you a little more about Nazareth. It says here in Mark six, verse one, and he went out from thence and came to his own country and his disciples follow him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue and many hearing him were astonished saying, from whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. Nazareth, his hometown. He has a little homecoming here as he comes to the town that he was raised in. And, and how is he received? Well, it's kind of a sad, sad story about Nazareth. Um, Nazareth's an interesting town. Does anybody remember uh, the Bible gives us a hint about sort of a reputation that Nazareth had. Do you remember Nick at Night? Not on Nickelodeon, the one where Jesus was approached by Nicodemus at nighttime, it says. And, and um, Nicodemus, you know, when they talked about Jesus, one of the things that he said, he said, um, you know, they said, well, Jesus, he's from Nazareth. And do you remember, what, what did he say about uh, Nazareth, anybody? 
can any good thing come from Nazareth? That was the reputation Nazareth had. It's kind of a, a, one of those towns, if you know what I mean. Sort of like Portland has a, a reputation around the earth as being uh, insane. And it is, uh, and it's embarrassing. Our town is a joke uh, and it's become that. A byword almost, Portland, Oregon, everybody laughs, you know, when you say that now. And, and, and it's really sad, but that, that's the sad state of Nazareth. It's, it's kind of that kind of a town. That's where Jesus grew up, interestingly enough. But we're gonna see this uh, play out and maybe a little bit know more about the people from Nazareth and what their attitude was just by this story. <clears throat> now, let's take a look. I've, I've been to Nazareth several times. One of the trips I made uh, a few last few years was uh, with some of my buddies. We went and shot some footage uh, there in Nazareth. And um, the, the, basically, Nazareth was a tiny little town smaller than this, this building, this room right here. Um, probably the population they believe was around 120 to 150 people max. Uh, you could barely call it a town, more of a village maybe. But um, this church that they built over the whole site is the Church of the Annunciation, um, where uh, you know uh, they believe Gabriel appeared to Mary, uh, all that stuff. And the Catholics, they always build something over all the fun sites, so you can't see them anymore uh, in daylight. But you go in this church and you can look down in this hole and then there's the, um, there's the ruins of the ancient archeological dig of Nazareth. And inside you can see some of the first century uh, places uh, where Jesus no doubt walked. And even there's little homes and, and uh, places where they'd store food and, and they found pottery and all kinds of cool stuff from the first century. So it is, it is kind of a fun place to go look at and see. So this, all this is under the big church. Uh, when you go look at all this, there's holes that dig down and they, uh, you can see all different strata. Now, if you walk just a, f a few hundred yards away, they believe the synagogue was just outside of the town. Um, and the, you, and if you have to go down in a hole, because remember the strata over the centuries, this little synagogue they believe was the first century synagogue of Nazareth, which is very likely where Jesus would speak. Um, even as it says here, he went in teaching in the synagogue. That was probably the synagogue that he went to. But, but all that to say, that this is kind of the coolest part. Nazareth sits up on a cliff and looks over. Well, there's Mount Tabor where Deborah was. If you remember that story, that little mosquito bite there, that's Tabor, Mount Tabor. But it's on a cliff and you can be in Nazareth and look down to the Valley of Armageddon. That's what we're looking at right there from Nazareth. It's quite a, quite a view up there at Nazareth. And there's a cliff right over here where I'm standing. Um, and you need to kind of keep that in mind as far as our lesson goes today. Uh, that'll come into play to our story. Um, but all that to say, um, how was Jesus received here in Mark chapter six, verse one? Well, you can, just by our reading, you think, oh man, what a bummer that they really aren't able to see Jesus do what he's good at doing. Um, what, a, what a shocking word. Jesus could do no good work there. Uh, I, I think Jesus can do whatever he wants. Yeah, but it says right here, he could there do no mighty work and he marveled because of their unbelief. Isn't that interesting that the town was so unbelieving that Jesus was like, man, I, I can't even do a good work here in my old hometown. A prophet is not without honor except in his own, own country, his own hometown. But the wording here in the English actually is softened up a bit. If you go to the original language of the New Testament Greek, it's even more kind of shocking, um, the, the, the language. Let me give you a few examples of this. For example, in verse two, when it says, uh, he went into the synagogue um, and many hearing him were astonished. When you hear the word astonished, what do you think of? The, the English word astonished, you mean like, wow, surprised? 
Uh, now, astonished, the word astonished can be kind of a good thing or a bad thing. I'm astonished how stupid you are. Well, that's a bad thing. Or I'm astonished how smart you are. Well, that's a good thing. So it can kind of go either way. The word that's used here is, um, is actually more of a negative. The Greek word is a funny little word, ekpleso uh, in the Greek. Um, not espresso, espresso for some of you that like your coffee. Um, Explaso. Uh, and it means to be struck with amazement. You say, that sounds right. Amazement, um, astonishment. But it also is linked to this negative thing, to cast off by a blow or to drive out. Um, you say, Brad, I don't know how that's connected with being amazed and then to cast off by a blow in the Greek dictionary. It's, it's the word you'd use <laughs> if, if, you know how when you're camping, you're just out there and all of a sudden a big bug lands on your shoulder? What do you do? Um, <laughs> anybody? Some of you guys, oh, pick it up and eat it. It's really great. <laughs> no, no, you, you quickly just flick it off, right? You flick it off. Uh, that's the word expresso. You flick it off to cast it off by a blow. That's the idea. I did that in Africa when I was leading worship. I was in Burkina Faso playing my guitar at nighttime with a bunch of our brothers there. It was just a good time singing. Um, but they have these huge spiders there in Burkina Faso, these desert spiders, and they match the sand. So they're kind of a whitish colored, and, but they're about the size of a tarantula, but they look like a black widow, um, just, just white, uh, kind of a weird, creepy, and they're really fast for spiders. But I'm just there minding my own business singing songs when suddenly one of those spiders just comes and stands on my foot. And I, you know, I felt it on there, just like, and I looked down, and there's this big white spider on my foot. And I, I didn't know if it was poisonous or deadly or whatever. So I'm, I, without even missing a beat, I'm singing, I just went click with my foot, and, and I, I crushed it uh, with my foot. It sounded like a Coke can. Um, it was horrible. Um, I won't even talk about the guts and stuff, but. Um, <laughs> But that's the idea, uh, explesso. It means to cast off, like, get it out of here. I don't want that. Uh, what a sad word. That's the word when we say they were astonished. It means they were astonished to the point of saying, yeah, get out of here. We don't want this. And, and then the second word there is offended. Now, you'll recognize the Greek word for offended. The Greek word there of offended in verse uh, three is scandalizo, where we get our words scandalized. Um, boy, was this, a scan was, was this a scandal that Jesus was in the town? You say, well, Brad, I don't get why they would call it a scandal or to scandalize. Um, you know, we, we Americans, we sure love a good scandal. Um, when we see scandals in the news, man, it becomes news. And, you know, we, we get all up into those fancy little scandals. Uh, they're still talking about the slap heard around the world. Will Smith slapping Chris Rock at the Oscars. You know, that's, that was a scandal. Everybody got all free. Or Johnny Depp, Amber Heard trial last year. You know, like people just love a good scandal. Well, what was the scandal here in Nazareth? Well, there's an implication. Again, you and I might miss this on a, just a light read. But, um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a hint of what, what was going on here. By the way, um, if this was... a a news item, what happened here, a news item of the scandal. Uh, what would the scandal news item look like at the Nazareth Gazette? Um, it would probably read something like this. Illegitimate trade worker claims he's God. <laughs> Brett, how did you get all that? Well, it's funny how they extrapolate all the kind of crazy stuff into the title of the scandal, you know, headline. Well, that would be the headline. Ill illegitimate trade worker claims he's God. And this is the problem at, at Nazareth. Well, Brett, what do you mean illegitimate? Well, it's built into the text here by the way they refer to him. Um, in verse three, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, 
question. If you're a first century person and you call someone the son of his mother, is that something that's nice to do in those days? If you understand, it was meant to be extremely derogatory. Uh, it was insulting. To call a, a man the son of his mother, I know this is offensive for the, you know, the moms in here, uh, but uh, I'm talking about the first century. You, you just wouldn't do that. That was not, see, we're so familiar with him being the son of Mary and we understand the virgin birth and why, like we would say the son of Mary, oh yes, that's so wonderful. And you know, all that stuff. But in, it, these people, by calling him the son of, he, they say he's the carpenter, the son of, they should have said technically, culturally, Joseph, who was a carpenter. That's what you would do. Um, the son of the, the fathers who they, they always would refer to. So why would they say Jesus, this guy who's the son of Mary, um, and, and you understand, they don't understand the virgin birth. Uh, can you imagine? Can you imagine being Mary living with that kind of scandal? Um, because that scandal would reach not only Nazareth uh, when Jesus was growing up, but it would reach all the way into Jerusalem. Do you remember the Pharisees and Sadducees? They would even refer to Jesus as being an illegitimate uh, son there in Jerusalem. That's how far this, this rumor goes about Jesus being born illegitimately. Um, we know the story. Mary was uh, pregnant at probably somewhere around 13 to 15 years old. Can you imagine if one of our junior high girls came to youth group and said, I'm pregnant? And you're like, okay, where's the guy? Who's the dude? And she says, the Holy Ghost. Well, we're gonna find the Holy Ghost real quick here and figure out who he was. Uh, that's what we would say, right? Uh, you'd be, that's, that's, that's just a bad deal. But, but, um, but Mary had to deal with that. So bad was it, Joseph heard Mary was pregnant and he was gonna put her off with a bill of divorce because being espoused was as good as being married in those days. But the Lord reveals to Joseph that she truly was uh, pregnant by the Holy Spirit. The virgin birth pr predicted all the way back in the Proto-Evangelium of Gen in the very earliest part of Genesis. It's an amazing story. But all that to say, um, this is the rumor in town. And, and by them saying, is not this the carpenter? Isn't this the son of Mary? Which would imply illegitimacy. Uh, and it's part of that reputation that Jesus would deal with. And no doubt, poor Mary would deal with that reputation unfairly as well. So this word offended, uh, they were offended. The word is scandalized there. Um, and why do they feel this way? This, this is interesting. Um, and, and what you also might miss if you're not looking at a harmony of the gospels, which is always rewarding, by the way, when you look at a harmony of the gospels, it kind of takes the four gospels and spreads out the stories in the order that they happen so you can kind of see what goes on. And it's a little difficult because like, for example, the book of Mark, we're only in chapter six, but we're well more than halfway into Jesus's ministry. In Matthew chapter six, we're just barely getting started. So you, the numbers of the chapters, if you try to correlate them, they, it doesn't work very well. For example, this is Jesus's second trip to Nazareth during his ministry. And you're saying, well, this second trip didn't go very well. Do you remember how his first trip went? Well, you can find that story in Luke chapter four. Would you keep your finger here and flip over to Luke chapter four with me? Um, and there's a story of his first visit to his hometown. Uh, let's see how that one went. Uh, Luke chapter four. And we'll start there in verse 16. It says in Luke 4, 16, and he, Jesus, came to Nazareth 
where he had been brought up. And as his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. This is where he's kind of considered to be sort of an itinerant rabbi who would travel around and speak in the synagogues. That was a normal thing in those days. So that's what Jesus is doing. So he goes into the synagogue, just like his visit there in Mark chapter six, he goes in the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Verse 17, and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath appointed me to, pardon me, anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of, our, of, the, of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down and the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Awkward. You say, Brett, why is that awkward? Well, that's not normal. He, he rolls up the scroll and he sits down and everybody's just looking at him. Like, why? Why are they staring at him? Well, he does something here that is kind of unacceptable according to their tradition. Um, what is that? Well, let's finish the reading here and then I'll tell you what he did that was so kind of weird for the people. Verse two, 21, pardon me, it says, so he began, you know, they're all staring at him. I wonder how long he let that awkward pause go as he just sat there. They're all staring at him. Then he turns and says, verse 21, he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Okay, wait, so this, this is the first trip. They don't call him the son of Mary. They're not being that mean yet. But they say, hey, wait a minute. He's speaking gracious words of, you know, about healing and setting the captives free and all that but they start to analyze. Oh boy, here's where the problem sets in with humanity. Um, Jesus says this beautiful quotation from the book of Isaiah and says, this is fulfilled in yours today, which this is something where you have to understand the Jews knew their Old Testament Hebrew Bible. And they're, they're, they're hearing Jesus read from Isaiah chapter 61, which is messianic. It's talking about the coming Messiah. Jesus is reading about the Messiah and he sits down but, but they all stare at him. And then he says, today, these words are fulfilled in your ears. This means something huge. Now there's two reasons why I believe they stare him down. And they're like, what, what did he just say? And why, why are they staring him down? Two reasons. One, he didn't finish the sentence. As he's reading from Isaiah 61, he doesn't finish the sentence. It's like reading the Bible and then stopping halfway through a sentence and then closing it and then sitting down. Like, uh, you at least should have finished the sentence. That's the first reason they're staring him down. The second reason it gets worse is he's reading about the Messiah and, 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 and they're wondering, why did you read that? And then Jesus gives them the answer. He says, today, this is fulfilled in your ears. In other words, this Messiah stuff, it's me. And this, this is gonna freak him out. And that's why they say, well, we're marveling that he was using gracious words, but isn't this the son of Joseph? He's just a normal guy that grew up in our town. And he's claiming to be the Messiah. Yeah, right. 
Oh, it gets worse here in the town. Let me show you how this kind of works out. If you go to the Isaiah 61 passage, um, you know, this is what Jesus was reading. And florals the scroll there in the synagogue of, of, of Nazareth. And he reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he's talking about himself as he's reading the Old Testament scripture. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of our Lord, mid-sentence, closes the scroll and sits down. You say, well, what's the rest of it? Why didn't he finish the sentence? Well, here's the rest of the sentence right here. Here's what he left out. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. Why did he leave that out? Well, this is where I think it's super interesting because Isaiah 61, this is a two-part prophecy. There's a prophecy about the Messiah, but it's got two parts. And, and this is something the Lord kept somewhat of a mystery and really it's still hidden to the Jews largely. And that is that the Messiah would come in two advents, the first coming and his second coming. Um, we all know this now as we look back retrospectively and the Bible sort of is unlocked as we go through time and get closer to the second coming of Christ, we, we start to understand, oh wow, this is pretty cool. But Jesus said, today this is fulfilled in yours. Had he read the whole thing, he couldn't have said that. Because the day of the vengeance of our God, when's that gonna happen, anybody? That's, that's in his second coming. The day of vengeance of God is not gonna happen in his first coming. That's gonna happen in his second coming. Um, this is interesting, you know, he leaves that out uh, because he, he knew he was gonna say, today all of this is fulfilled in your ears. The, the one who would preach good tidings to the meek, that's, that's today. Jesus is doing that, the Messiah. Um, so so the, the people here start to realize, um, you know, that Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. And this is not gonna settle well with the people of Nazareth, uh, as it turns out. How, how does it end in his first visit to Nazareth? Well, if you keep reading in Luke chapter four, if you keep reading, like here's, here's how it lands. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill whereupon their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. But he passing through the midst of them went his way. Remember the video I showed you of Nazareth where I'm standing on the edge of the cliff looking over the Valley of Armageddon? This is where they bring him. They drag him out of the synagogue and they're gonna throw him off the cliff. That's how mad they are that he's claiming to be the Messiah. And they said, this is Joseph's son, the carpenter. Uh, and, and they're ready to kill him. Um, it's interesting, what an irony, if you think about that. Uh, Jesus escapes this, uh, and we know why. Jesus knew what he was gonna do. He was gonna go to Jerusalem and be hung on a cross. He wasn't gonna die by being thrown off some cliff. Um, so how did he get away? Well, we don't know, other than it's just, but he passing through the midst of them went his way. Was it kind of a, you know, a Obi-Wan Kenobi moment where he's like just waving, you will let me pass through. And all of a sudden they all just kind of, and he walks through. I don't know, maybe it was. Uh, but he leaves at this point. That was his first visit to Nazareth. Not a great homecoming, if you ask me, as he went back to his little hometown. They were gonna kill him, and he goes out. Um, now, back to Mark chapter six. Um, you say, okay, Brett, uh, why is he going there a second time? After that, I, I think I wouldn't go home ever again. Why did he go back again? Well, it, this is one of the things I love about our Lord, is his patience and his endurance. When you have failed the Lord, when you've been angry at the Lord, when you have been wrong about what he's thinking or doing or what he's going, you know, having you go through, 
Um, the Lord is so faithful to give us another chance. I love that in our Lord. You know, we're people who chalk each other off. You wrong me, I'm never gonna talk to you again. But our Lord Jesus, he goes back to Nazareth. That's his second visit, Mark chapter six. Um, you say, well, Brett, isn't that kind of dangerous? The last time he was there, they were wanting to kill him. Well, you gotta remember in the Luke account, that was very early in his ministry. He was just kind of by himself there. But in the Mark chapter six account, by this time, Jesus is famous. Um, remember, Mark moves really quickly. And as we're in Mark chapter six now, the multitudes are already piled up around Jesus. Remember, they're just following him everywhere he goes. There's multitudes of people. Remember, the population of Nazareth was, was about 120 and 150 people. Jesus has more than that just following him around. And not only that, he's got his posse with the 12 disciples. Like, and not only that, he's got a reputation as having done miracles. You see, in the first visit to Nazareth, nobody really brings that up. But in this Mark chapter six account, they're marveling, you know, they're astonished in verse uh, two. Um, and they say, who is this guy? Like, wh where did this man get this stuff? And then they say, even such mighty works that are wrought by his hands. You see, in his second visit, he's already healed uh, people, raised people from the dead, uh, healed the crippled people. Like he's already done massively huge miracles. And so the people of Nazareth don't have quite the, the uh, footing that they had in his first visit. So they're kind of they're at, at, at the mercy of the multitude and the disciples and Jesus. He, he's a force just by popularity so how do they deal with Jesus in his, in his second visit? Well, that's what we read here. Um, his second trip to uh, Nazareth, um, they, they miss it. And the Lord cannot do anything in that town because of their unbelief. What brings a people to be so thick, so dull that they miss the Messiah and they reject Jesus Christ? Um, there's three things I'd like to point out to you about the people of Nazareth that are a good cautionary word for us on this Sunday morning. First of all, it was an issue of familiarity. That was one of their biggest problems. They, were, they thought they were familiar with Jesus. Isn't this Joseph's son, they said in the first visit, then derogatorily in the second, isn't this the son of Mary? We know about your story, Jesus. They thought they knew something, but they were stupid. They didn't know a thing. They thought they knew stuff. How many times do people think they know who Jesus Christ is, but they really don't? When you hear the world talk about Jesus Christ, you get a sense that they sure don't know what they're talking about. When I hear Oprah Winfrey talk about Jesus, she does not know Jesus Christ personally. She doesn't know who he is. She talks about all kinds of things, but not the Jesus that I know. Um, this is something that's important, the identity of Jesus. You know, you have to be familiar with who he really is. And, um, and they say as the old, you know, an old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. Well, that's the truth with these people of Nazareth. This is the guy that grew up in our town. We know his brothers and his sisters, you know, and, and they list there um, the, the brothers. And just so they can say, we know, you know, uh, James and, and Joseph and Jude. By the way, those, uh, those James became one of the great leaders in the early church. Jude wrote the book of Jude. These are Jesus's brothers and sisters who actually became believers that he was the Messiah. That's an amazing thing. You gotta give his brothers and sisters you know, credit in that way. They knew the perfect Jesus. And uh, you'd, that'd be tough having your brother grow up being perfect all the time. Can you imagine your mom always saying, oh, Brett, you should just be more like Jesus. Like that'd be a horrible thing to grow up with a perfect brother like that. But, um, but 
But Jesus, his brothers, James and Jude particularly, uh, were great men used in the, in the church. But they knew the family, and because they thought they knew who he was, the son of a carpenter, the son of Mary, um, with his brothers and sisters, they thought they knew who he was, but they, they missed it. Um, the familiarity with Jesus can be a pitfall if you think you know him, but you don't. And I also have to add to this, um, sometimes we, we as Christians can become overly familiar with Jesus. How could you become too familiar with Jesus? Well, in the negative sense of familiarity, if you're not careful, you can make Jesus just kind of a common everyday thing and you forget the power behind the name. Oh yeah, Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. If you've known that since you were like me, five years old, I accepted Christ when I was five. Um, you know, it's, it's to know Jesus as my personal savior for 52 years. If you're not careful, you go, yeah, yeah, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And we start talking about Jesus and we become so familiar and it almost loses the powerful punch that it once had. Gotta watch, watch out if you're one who grew up with Jesus. Um, make sure we are familiar with who Jesus really is and not ever forget um, Jesus. The world claims to know and people claim to say the authentic Jesus, the historical Jesus. Watch out for that. Um, you know, the Discover Channel, Discover, you know, or History Channel, they'll claim to have the real Jesus, the authentic Jesus. I have to say, one of the things I know, everybody gets all up in a tizzy about the Chosen series. And, uh, you know, people talk about Mormonism. Well, the Jesus of Mormonism is, is uh, not the true Jesus. I'm just gonna say that. Uh, we've done whole studies talking about why that's true. Uh, but Jesus, he is not the brother of Satan. Do you know that? I hope you know that Jesus is not the brother. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. Um, Jesus is God in the flesh. God, he says, you know, you've, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. I and my father are one. He's not the brother of Satan. Um, he's not a good prophet or a good teacher, as, you know, Oprah would say. Jesus, if, if Jesus was a good teacher, would he claim to be God? Or would, does that make him a liar? Not a good teacher, but a liar, if you don't believe that he's God in the flesh. Um, Jesus forces a decision by just what he taught. You have to choose to believe, is Jesus who he claimed to be? So the, the chosen, one of my real, probably the biggest problem I have um, is not, you know, I know some of you are saying, yeah, but in a picture on the set, there was a gay pride flag. So it's a homosexual series. Well, that's making a leap. Maybe there was some cameraman's daughter who had a rainbow flag gay. Flag. Who knows about that? I have no idea. But I, I would say this cautionary word about the chosen. Um, Dallas Jenkins, who is the guy who created this, he goes on record saying, I am just simply wanting to show the authentic Jesus. And can I just tell you, the, there's an actor and there's a writer and they're showing you his version of who Jesus is. This is the authentic Jesus right here. Right, I hope you guys, you can enjoy it if you want to and watch the series, but be careful. That's not the authentic Jesus. Um, this here uh, is the authentic Jesus. Uh, I'm just gonna tell you right now, um, Matthew, the tax collector, did not help Jesus write the Sermon on the Mount. He, Jesus didn't need help with his homework on that one. Um, there's things in The Chosen, I sort of chuckle and go, that's kind of ridiculous. Um, but The Chosen is just trying to be so embraceive of you know, all this stuff and they're bringing in their view. That's not the authentic Jesus. The only authentic version of Jesus you're gonna get is in the living, powerful, authoritative word of God. Read your Bibles. The book's always better than the movie. <laughs> I'm just telling you that right now. Um, anyway, so this issue of familiarity this is the, the, one of the problems for the people of Nazareth. They were, uh, they were so f thinking that they were familiar 
with Jesus. They were not wanting to hear. Now, today, how does Jesus come to your town? Um, does Jesus literally show up to Nazareth just or to, you know, to Portland like he did Nazareth? Well, as it turns out, this is where it gets a little tricky because um, Jesus shows up through different ways now in modern times, uh, various ways. Uh, he shows up through his church. We're called the body of Christ. When people see the church of Jesus Christ, they're supposed to see Jesus and know Jesus. Um, also, Jesus shows up through his word, like I just said, in the word of God. And here's the problem. We're, as church people, flawed, sinful people. Um, and you can become, people become disillusioned about Jesus. They think they know Jesus because they see flawed people in the church. Oh, I'm not gonna be a Christian because I see a bunch of hypocrites. How many times do you hear that? But don't be one of those people that are misguided in thinking that you know Jesus because you know how people act in the church. I think that's a total cop-out, by the way. When people say, oh, I, I, would, I would be a follower of Jesus um, if people weren't just big hypocrites. The church of Jesus Christ, we're, we're not claiming to be perfect or even good. The Bible says there's no one good. No one seeks after God. There's no one righteous, not even one. And we agree with that. But what we are a testimony of is a bunch of weirdos that are sinful and wrong who've been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. We are living examples of people who've been blessed. Even though we didn't deserve it, we didn't earn it, we can show you, look what Jesus has done in our lives and we can be testimonies of that. Um, and it's so sad to me how we, we've become such an easily offended uh, you know, uh, culture. These people were offended by Jesus. That's the word they use. That's an appropriate word for our day because we're offended by everything, our culture. Um, it's amazing. I think offendedness, being offended is not even a biblical thing. If you're a Christian, stop being offended. In fact, I did a whole sermon so-called don't be offended. Uh, and, and, and what should we not be offended about, Brett? Everything, don't be offended. You can be a lot of things. You can be, you know, uh, even righteously angry about things. You can, you can be uh, determined to change things. You can, you can have a uh, righteous indignation about stuff. But the word offended is not really supposed to be in our, in our category. These people were offended by Jesus. Um, but I wonder how many people are offended by the church and because of that, they miss Jesus Christ altogether. What a bad, bad choice. Just like the people of Nazareth, it was an issue of, of familiarity. People think they knew Jesus, but they were really clueless about who Jesus really was. And I believe there's people that are gonna never have their sins forgiven and they will be destined for hell because they think they're familiar with Jesus, but they are not. And because of, they think, of their thinking they're familiar, um, they're actually uh, misguided and, and missing the salvation of Christ. By the way, as Christian people, we should keep this in mind because you are called to represent Jesus. And I know we all struggle with that. We all are flawed. It's always amazing to me how we hold each other up to such a high standard. Don't get me wrong. We're, you know, we. We preach all the time that we're not supposed to sin and run from sin. Sin's bad because it messes you up. And, and of course, obedience is part of you know, what it is. When, when you're a Christian, that's part of what we do. Obedience, righteousness is what we are hungering and thirsting after. But, but and, and while we admit our failure, does that mean we should just keep failing and keep sinning uh, and let grace abound? God forbid. The Bible says that. Um, but remember what Jesus said. You know, some of you might be thinking, well, Brett, that's your job. You're the pastor. You're supposed to be the one who's got it all dialed in. That's a total misnomer. I'll be the, the one to admit to every single day, I'm a sinner, just like every single person in this room. 
Um, and, and people that hold the pastor up. I know, I know that pastors should be held to a, a higher standard. I get that, I totally believe that. But at the same time, when it all is said and done, we're all just a bunch of miserable, wretched sinners. I hope you understand that. But does that mean we just keep sinning? Keep this in mind. I love what John 15, 16, Jesus said this about all of us. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and have ordained you <laughs> that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Um, you see, Jesus has ordained us all to be sort of ministers of the good news of Jesus. Ask yourself, does my example at work or at school or in my neighborhood, is that something that makes Jesus better known and people to know who the real Jesus, the biblical Jesus really is? Um, are you representing that well? Because that's something we're all called to do, to represent Jesus. I'm not the only ordained minister in this room. If you're a Christian who calls out the name of Jesus, guess what? Jesus has ordained you too. So it's an issue of um, familiarity. The second reason why Nazareth totally misses Jesus is it gets right down to an issue of identity as well. Identity. Um, um, they knew that he didn't study with the intellectuals the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees of Jerusalem, the Herodians. He didn't, he didn't learn from all the schools. He was just a carpenter, they said. Uh, by the way, the word carpenter is the Greek word tekton, um, which we think carpenter with nail bags and a framing hammer and he's framing up houses and stuff like that, carpenter. That's not really what Jesus was. The, the word that's used here, they said, you're a tekton, which means either a worker in wood, stone, or metal. Um, there's all kinds of speculation about what Jesus's trade was. We were raised to believe he was the son of a carpenter. Joseph had wood and you know nail bags and was you know uh, building stuff out of wood. It's possible, but he, the word tecton could include stone cutter or metal worker, like a blacksmith. Uh, but um, they were also the word tecton was used for someone who was sort of an artist, uh, an artisan, craftsman, um, and what have you. Uh, there's some interesting extra biblical writers for you that are interested in this. Uh, I always get kind of interested in all these little details. Like what, what, what was Jesus? Like when, he went, when Jesus was growing up in Nazareth and they said, we know you as the carpenter. Did he come and fix somebody's house? Or um, what, what, what was Jesus? They knew him as that. What, did he help some of the 120 people that lived in his town? You better believe it. What did he do? Well, Justin Martyr, uh, if you know your uh, uh, early church writers and what have you in the second century, uh, which is, you know, 1800 years closer than us to Jesus. Oral tradition from the first century all the way to Justin Martyr, um, Jesus was the craftsman who made yokes for oxen. That's an interesting tradition. Uh, now, again, it's not in the Bible, so we can't say it for sure. But you say, well, what's the big deal of that? Well, a yoke was, we talk about a yoke, you know, all the time. The Bible talks about yokes. It's that wooden shaped, uh, shaped uh, you know, it was hewn out of wood and it would be perfectly shaped for a specific team of oxen. A good yoke maker knew how to disperse the weight according to the size and the shape of the oxen so that the oxen could work more efficiently. The bigger ox would carry more of the weight than the littler ox and the yoke was fashioned in a very perfect kind of way. They've found a bunch of these yokes from the first century, uh, you know, which is kind of cool. Uh, and they know what these things looked like. Isn't that interesting when Jesus said, take my yoke upon 
you and learn of me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Like um, that makes that little thing of Matthew 11 kind of pop, doesn't it? If that's what Jesus was sitting around making yoke, hey, take my yoke upon He's got a literal yoke that he knows how to make. Um, that's an interesting idea. But could it be that these people of Nazareth, my oxen are wearing the yoke you made, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, 10 years ago. And, you, and you're saying you're the Messiah? You're my yoke maker, dude. That's kind of what they're saying when they say, you're the tecton, uh, the people of Nazareth. And so they have him identified as a yoke maker, craftsman, or whatever he really was. Um, they believed him to be a carpenter, but he was the Messiah. They missed it. Just like people who think Jesus was a prophet or a good teacher, a good moral man, um, but Jesus is the one who claimed to be God in the flesh. Remember, Jesus cared about what people identified him as. It's an issue of identity. Remember in Matthew, uh, we, we read there uh, when Jesus was at Caesarea Philippi, when he asked the disciples, who do you say that I, the son of man, am? And you know, some said, well, you're John the Baptist. Others said, you're Elijah or that prophet or one of the prophets, Jeremiah. Um, but then Jesus asked Peter, well, who do you, or asked them, who do you say, disciples, that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the Christos the son of the living God, you're the Messiah. Jesus was concerned that people knew what his real identity was. And that is the Christos, the, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Can I just say this? Uh, sadly, not all churches even know who Jesus really is. So-called churches. There's a lot of churches that claim, oh yeah, Jesus was a good teacher. He's a good example for us to follow. But um, when you take out the deity of Christ, um, it it's suddenly makes the whole doctrine of the Bible start to fall apart. Um, that's why Jesus made the claim, I and my father are one in John 10, 30. And the, and the Jews picked up rocks and they were gonna stone him to death, not because he was united or tight with God, but because he claimed and made himself equal to God. They said, we're gonna stone you for that. Um, but Jesus made that claim. Um, and, and then Jesus also said, I am the only way to heaven. If you don't believe Jesus is God, then what happened there when God sent this uh, person to die? Uh, and by the way, there's, there's some people like Oprah Winfrey and others who say, oh, there's many paths to heaven. Jesus is just one of many ways. That's such an offensive notion. If God made many ways to heaven, why would he take his son and crucify him on a cross brutally if, if there were other ways? Do you see the fallacy of that? That makes God a murdering, horrible person to uh, kill his own son saying, I'm gonna kill my son so you can be saved. Or if you want, you can follow Buddha, Krishna, Oprah, whoever you wanna follow, you can follow uh, and be saved. Nope, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, John 14, six. So Jesus made these claims. The angels even declared who he was. This is Emmanuel, God with us. That will be his name. Um, so their view, the people of Nazareth, they had a simple view of who Jesus was, son of Mary, carpenter. Um, you know, I would ask you, if you're not, if you feel like you're lacking power in your life, uh, one of the things you need to check is, you know, do you know who the true Jesus Christ is? Uh, familiarity, identity. Um, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. Uh, by the way, um, these people were ready to throw him off the cliff because they were so sure of themselves on who the identity of Jesus was. 
But as I told you, the, the cliff of Nazareth <clears throat> overlooks the Valley of Armageddon. Do you ever wonder if Jesus, as a little kid, sat on the edge of that cliff? <clears throat> you know, remember, it's a tiny little town. Jesus lived on the cliff, basically. And, and he grew up overlooking Armageddon. Do, do you ever wonder, how much did Jesus know and when did he know it? Um, because, you know, um, I, I'm of the opinion that when Jesus was born as a baby, Jesus wasn't in the, in the manger going, E equals MC squared. Like he didn't, he didn't, he was a baby who, the reason I believe he, he kind of went through that same development to some degree that we all did is because he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. So part of being tempted is not knowing, right? And even doubt. Um, Jesus never sinned. <clears throat> but do you ever wonder, like, when did Jesus really know stuff? We know at the age of 12, he was already totally confounding <clears throat> the religious leaders in Jerusalem at 12. But do you ever wonder if like at five, he's sitting on the edge of the cliff going, someday I'm gonna come from the sky, huge, with a sword coming out of my mouth and on my thigh tattooed, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and I have blood dipped vesture and I'm gonna come with 10,000s of the saints and with the angels and I'm gonna wipe out all the kingdoms of the world. That's coming in my future right here where I grew up looking over the Valley of Armageddon. That's what the Valley of Armageddon is. Read Revelation chapter 19. It's scary what Jesus is gonna do in his second coming. He came first time as a carpenter. The second coming of Christ is gonna come as a conqueror. Did Jesus know that as they were getting ready to throw him off the edge of the cliff? Did, did he almost chuckle when they were like, we're gonna throw you off the cliff? He's like, uh, actually, I'm gonna wipe out all the nations of the world. And you think you guys are gonna throw me? Good, good luck with that, throwing me off the cliff. <laughs> like, I, I wonder if he even chuckled just a little bit. I don't know. That's just me reading into it. We'll have to check out the movie when we get to heaven. <laughs> An issue of identity. They got it all wrong. Boy, I hope you know who Jesus Christ is. And if you wanna know the real Jesus, don't watch a movie, don't read the Book of Mormon, don't do anything but go right to the Bible. The Bible is the, the book that's withstood 2,000 years of scrutiny and it tells us who the authentic Jesus is. Forget your college professors with cardigan sweaters and pipes that are puffing, read your Bible. I love that the Bible is easy enough for all of us to read and know for ourselves and search the scriptures to see if what people are saying is true or false. Uh, so many people, they, they, they don't know the true Jesus Christ because they refuse to read their Bibles. Well, the third and final um, reason I believe uh, that Jesus was rejected there is, and, and Jesus says so much, it was an issue of unbelief. Uh, what a sad verse, verse five. Um, Jesus could do no mighty work save that he laid his hand on a few sick folk and healed them. Um, this kind of cracks me up. Now again, maybe I'm reading into it. You, you can be the judge, but it's almost like Jesus gets kicked out again we don't want you here, we're offended. You know, shoe bug, like, like what we were talking about, get out of here. And on his way out, I was like, man, what a bummer, I can't do any, oh, by the way, be healed. Uh, oh, by the way, be healed. Uh, as he's leaving, there's just a couple sick people along the way. He's kind of like, like, he's kind of healing people on his way out of the town. I love that. It's almost like, yeah, any questions? You know, you all could have been healed like this person as I'm walking by him. That's what it says, there's some folk. Uh, he was able to lay his hands on a few folk there in Nazareth, but but largely because of their unbelief, he was able to do nothing, nothing in Nazareth. That's the sad part of this story. I wonder if the Lord wants to do more in your life, but because of familiarity or lacking the true identity of who Jesus really is, or just because of plain old unbelief, the Lord is unable to do 
um, a work in your life that's powerful and real. Unable? Well, the old saying is true. Without us, he won't. But without him, we can't. You see, um, some of the great miracles of God requires faith. You gotta have faith. <clears throat> and it's an issue of unbelief that, uh, that limits what the Lord will do in your life. Um, that's the sad thing. You know, uh, the issue of faith, Jesus, it says here, marvels. Do you see that verse six? And he marveled because of their, what does the word marvel believe? It's, it's almost like rhetorically he's going, wow, I, I can't even believe what I'm seeing here. I, I'm marveling that there's people that are so thick that they will reject. Even as I'm healing people on my way out of town, they're saying, yeah, get out of here. So he marvels. Did you know that Jesus marveled twice in the Bible? The first time Jesus marveled, by the way, was um, actually uh, kind of cool. It was in, in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, he marveled. Um, remember the story of the Gentile who had faith so great that Jesus marveled at so great? He said, There's, I've not seen so great a faith, no, not in all of Israel, as this Gentile here. That's the first time Jesus marveled. The second time he marveled is marveling at the lack of faith of the people of Nazareth. And I would ask you maybe, which group are you? Which one are you, the marveling? Um, the Luke 7 or the Matthew 8? I mean, Luke 7 and Matthew 8 is where the Gentile was marveled by Jesus. But here in Mark chapter 6 is where Jesus marvels at the unbelief. Which marvel does Jesus do here at Athey Creek? Does he say, great faith, so great a faith that I see no, not in all of Portland? Or does he look at Athey Creek and go, oh man, I'm marveling at your unbelief. Um, I would rather have the marveling of the Gentile in Luke 7. Um, you say, well, Brett, how do I get faith? Well, hopefully we know this by now. As Athey Creekers, we've been going through the Bible long enough. What do you, what, what's the single best thing you should do if you feel like you're lacking faith? Anybody? Read the Bible. Faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17 and hearing by the word of God. If you want faith to be built up, there's a miraculous nature of this book. Some of you say, Brett, I'd like to read the Bible, but it goes through me like a sieve. I don't get it. But I always say, if you read your Bible, at least you'll have a clean sieve. <laughs> Jesus said that. He said, now you are clean by the word that I've spoken unto you. Jesus uh, said that in uh, John 15. Uh, the psalmist in Psalm 119 said, how shall a young man cleanse his way? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Um, he talked about the church. Jesus said, I wash the church in the water of the word. So you may not understand all the Bible when you read it, but at least you'll have a clean sieve. Um, and, and here's the thing, uh, with time, as you keep reading the Bible, it, it really starts to come together, starts to make sense. And the Lord gives you the ability to discern and understand and your faith will be built up. If you feel like you're lacking faith, um, read your word. Um, not just here at church. It helps to go through Wednesday night Bible study and, and go through the Bible at church, but you should, you should read your Bible daily. Uh, man, what a key that is. Um, Paul told Timothy, until I come, give attendance to the reading of scripture, um, to exhortation and to doctrine. Um, have you ever wondered, like, what would happen if you had the same treatment of your Bible as you do your cell phone? You know, if you carried it around everywhere you went, well, Brett, I uh, check, I have my Bible on my cell phone. Um, <laughs> uh, I get that. I've got, you know, a bunch of Bibles on my cell phone too. I've got Bible study software. I've got all kinds of cool stuff, um, you know, uh, on my cell phone. But can I just say, uh, I, I, I know I might sound really old school and stuff, but, but I love technology. Um, 
But, but here's the thing. At the same time, there's nothing to replace your paper Bible. And I'll tell you why. When I read this, it, there's not a message that pops up. Ding, gotta go to that meeting. Ding, news flash, you know, uh, Justin Bieber is in concert and whatever. Like all the dumb news flashes you get and, and ding, ding, ding. And, and what a distraction. There's something really cool about just saying, I'm just gonna put that aside and I'm gonna really focus on the word of God. We, we've lost focus. If you wanna be a person of faith, you gotta dig into the word and spend some time reading, not being distracted. Um, what would happen if you carried around a real Bible everywhere you went, just like your phone? What if you, like your phone, what if you flipped through the Bible over and over throughout the day? What, what would happen if you read your Bible as much or more than you read your phone? What would happen if you left your house in the morning and you forgot your Bible? Turn around and make sure, because you feel like a weirdo without your phone. Uh, wouldn't it be great if you had that same, oh, I left my Bible at home. Um, and what if you received messages from your paper Bible? Messages from who? Um, what if you couldn't live without it? What if uh, during an emergency, it's the first place you turn? Um, and, and, and you know what's even better about this Bible, this analog Bible, is you never get disconnected. And you don't have to pay the bill. The bill's already been paid in full. I mean, your Bible is so much better than your phone. And yet people don't care about the Bible as much anymore. It's all about your phone. Uh, I'd like to just challenge us as Athey Creekers to get yourself a good ninja Bible. What's a ninja Bible? Well, it's a Bible that's small enough to carry around. Like uh, one that's, you know, get it out fast, have it ready. The sword of the spirit, you know, ready to roll. Some of you guys, if you have the dictionary Bible, you're not gonna wanna put that in your backpack at school. Um, you know, the, the huge dictionary sized Bible. Um, but, you know, get up in the morning uh, and read, just even if it's a short little devotional time, start your day in the word of God and, and faith will be built. Familiarity, identity, unbelief, these were the reasons that the town of Nazareth failed. And they go down as one of the towns that just missed such a glorious, glorious hope through Jesus. It was because of their familiarity, their identity was all off on Jesus and their unbelief was marveled at by Jesus. May that never be true of Athey Creekers. May this be a church that knows the real Jesus Christ, believes and follows and, and is familiar only in the best sense of the word and that our faith is built up in Jesus' name. Let's pray together. Lord, how thankful we are for your word that is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, may it do its work even this morning in our hearts and our minds, Lord. Give us a new hunger for your word. Um, Lord, help us not to be nominally uh, tacking on scripture in our lives, but may we be students of your word. And like Psalm 1, who, he who meditates on the word day and night will be like a tree firmly planted by the rivers of water. Um, may, may that be us, Lord, as we uh, look to you. Uh, forgive us where we've become so familiar that it's lost a little of the power. I pray, Lord, that we would um, know you personally and have a relationship with you. For those that don't know you, that aren't saved, Lord, I pray that they'd repent of their sins, confess faith in Christ, Lord, that, that they would believe that he died on the cross for their sins and rose from the grave, that they might too be saved and forgiven, headed for heaven. What a glorious thing you're able to do but we also recognize it takes faith. So we pray your blessing upon these people who are hearing this now and may it bring forth good fruit in our lives. And this we pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen.